What's going on, everyone? It's Mitch from RespectMargin.com, and we're coming back with another episode of the RMR Podcast, episode 60. Today, we got some special guests from the direct opposite side of the map out in New York. Jonathan Elfhan, co-founder of Empire Cannabis Club and Pops over here. How are you guys doing today? Doing great, Mitch. How are you? Man, I'm I'm living life. I just got back from the East Coast myself in Boston. Not not quite not quite New York, but you know, we'll be out in the city here in a in a month for MJ Impact and trying to get out there uh, for some other stuff. But before we get into too much, every guest, um, I always start with the question of their origin story around the plant, that plant being cannabis. So Jonathan, I'm just curious kind of uh, when, when you and cannabis began your relationship together. Uh, my relationship. Uh, wow. Interesting. <laughs> uh, I was pretty young. I probably should have waited a few years but I started enjoying cannabis. I quickly, it was, I used it at 14 years old, maybe 15, but I quickly got into the, uh, the business side of it by the time I was 15, 16 also, just because it was what was shaking and happening at the time. There wasn't that many people that knew where, what, and how. So I kind of augmented into it real quick. But yeah, 14 years old, I tasted my first, it's about 14. Yeah, right? Yeah, probably around 14. Yeah. It's about 14 so many years, years again. <laughs> yeah. What 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 were the uh what was the bud looking like out there in the northeast back back then? Was it anything good or just some mids or or some lows? I gotta say what uh I don't I had a bunch of relatives that were involved in the commercial side of cannabis, like the smuggling stuff. So um as a young man, I was seeing boatloads of Thai weed come in. I was seeing Colombian reds, uh, Mexican this, Jamaican. I saw from the worst to the wow, oh, my God, like bales of things that you were like, holy crap, why would you press that like that? <laughs> uh, but, yeah, we had some phenomenal stuff back then. Some of the Thai strains were, true. wow, amazing. Yeah, those those original land races. What when did you start um, Empire Cannabis Club, and what was kind of the inspiration behind starting that that business model? Um, the New York Legislature put together the MRTA under uh, what they have Governor Cuomo at that time, and um, they got the uh, concept in their head that it was time to stop playing all the games, and cannabis was everywhere in New York for decades anyway let's get it legalized let's try to grab a few bucks off of it so they implemented the mrta and um minute i have some things to do with um uh, uh legal analysis of a lot of the laws that are coming into effect mostly because i get in trouble with a lot of stuff around it but uh we did some analysis of the new york mrta and uh I found a couple things that were written in that allowed us to immediately open and start a legitimate dispensary without waiting for corporate America to come in and say, hey, here's a, a billion dollars a fight. So it worked out to where we're the first major dispensary chain in New York City, all above board and running smooth as could be. 
And even at that, you know, just looking at things online, your guys' digital footprint is, is is pretty solid. The website is is great. You know, I'm, I'm a marketer. So even from an SEO perspective, I see dispensaries out here on the West Coast that have been around for a while, not even to build a website or really put lacking into that. What what has kind of gone into not only expanding to multiple locations, but making sure that the brand is represented in a, in, in a well-professional manner, both in-store and online? You know, it's been a, uh, but the way we started it and the way uh, New York has uh, took off, it's been uh, kind of racing forward to stop for a quick breath and make sure we're doing it right. Um, Because I've been in it a long time, I think that's helped a lot. And uh, we've put together a very good plan to make sure not only that we put out a product and a name that everyone is going to remember in New York for decades to come, but uh, we've also done the with the marketing from the website to even the parties we're throwing and everything else for our members to get involved with. We've done, I think, between my sister Lenore, my partner Julio, my brother Blake, my dad right here, and we have another associate, Joel Navarez, that does works on all our technical stuff. We've put together an amazing plan and uh, and had a made a lot of fun for our members to get involved with. So, um, and so right now, you guys have the four locations open. The fifth is opening around four twenty in, in Soho. Where are the four current locations at? Uh, we got our original place that we started in Chelsea. We got real lucky with that one. We popped off in Chelsea right after the pandemic. So we, we ended up, my sister found a spot there and we were back and forth if we were ready to run. We ran with it and it became a phenomenal location. We got a lot of loving members there, thousands and thousands of people that are enjoying our constant thing, over our setup over there. Then we uh, opened the second one in Lower East Side in Manhattan. Um, we, another great space, a lot of people in there are loving what we do. Um, Although there's a lot of dispensaries for probably the past six, eight months that have opened up around there. Phenomenal location also. We also have Williamsburg in Brooklyn, and we've just opened up Greenpoint in Brooklyn. Yeah, take take taking over the, the New York area, man, going to all the boroughs, huh? And we're working <laughs> fast as we can. Like I said, we're running the race. We got the two. We got actually two other spots. We got one that's almost done is uh, in Soho in uh, Canal and Broadway, right across from the Cannabis Museum. And uh, then I got another one that we're working on right now in uh, Fulton Mall in Brooklyn near the Barclays Center and stuff. That's uh, that's going to be uh, a dispensary with three stories of uh, consumption lounge nightclub right up top. That's uh, going to be pretty amazing. <laughs> Yeah, that'll that'll be a complete vibe. Um, you know, around this this fifth opening in Soho, closer to four twenty. You know, I know you're gonna have activations at all, at all five locations at that point, and then four twenty one. You guys are doing the the concert with Method Man and Red Man. Obviously, you know, ingrained in Stoner culture forever. Uh, those those two uh, legends. Um, what else can people expect? Kind of around four twenty in, in this concert on four twenty one from you guys. I think uh, we're at, you know, we're sitting with a lot of members right now. I think, what are we at? Like close to 100,000 members across New York City right now, which is, got to say, we did a great job, but that's amazing that everyone's blessed us to really enjoy our, our concept. Uh, 
with 100,000 members, we're going to open up all our stores with a lot of uh, a lot of items to try and check out from all our vendors that participate in making our stores fantastic. Uh, so there'll be a lot of giveaways, a lot of things for people to check out, a lot of coming items that we'll be promoing for all our members to stop in on 420. I'm trying to do it with all our stores on 420 so that, because I know there's a lot of little things going all over town. And, you know, listen, I don't want to take anything away from any of the rest of the social equity legacy market that's rocking in New York. I've been here for 40 years and I love New York City. That's my place. And uh, everybody from New York that wants to participate, I'm down and helping them do it. Um, so our opening of the stores for 420 is basically so that everyone can just keep cruising around town and checking out everything, stop in a store and go over to Washington Square Park, go over to Union Square, check out the guys over at Cookies, everything. I want them to see everything. Um, 421 is our day, though. We're, uh, we're locked down Terminal 5. Uh, there's a couple other people coming in now trying to play a few, uh, hit, hit some horns and play some tunes, but... Uh, We've got something really magnificent going to go off at Terminal 5 with Method Man, Red Man, and uh, Funk Master Flex. Uh, Flex is going to rock the whole house all night long around them. And uh, got a couple of uh, new hip-hop guys that are coming in, um, R&B, hip-hop type things that are going to be going to be excellent, man. We're going to have a lot of fun. A lot of vendors showing up, too. We're going to have a, a lot of things, a lot of smoke to check out. So, Hey, hey, we, lo we like to hear that. And I also – I also like that setup of, you know, not not it's not necessarily necessarily about competing, but like you said, giving space for everyone on 420, the big holiday when everyone's going to do stuff and, and, and do something the next day. Um, you know, with New York coming online right now, I'm sure that there is a mixture of community and, and those communal aspects of people trying to do whatever they can to just uplift, you know, the, the rising tides, raising all ships. And there's also some competitive nature that obviously has existed in, in in business in New York, uh, you know, predating uh, adult use and across all industries. What's your temperature of being on the ground? Do you feel like a lot of people are willing to work with one another and really pushing for the community to win? Or do you feel like it's a lot of cutthroat, you know, business stuff? Or is it a little bit of a mix of both? Hey, uh, capitalism in the world today is everything about getting yours. It's always been that way. I'm not going to lie. I want to get mine. I want my family to have a piece of the cannabis industry across this world because we've been dealing with it for decades. But, uh, you know, we have a lot of cutthroat stuff. I got people that just popped the shop open directly across the street from me in Greenpoint. As I'm opening the door, they were coming by saying hello a few weeks ago. And then they rushed and opened up a shop and said, and they literally opened up the day before we did our, our grand opening. And I was like, everyone's like, ah, oh, we can't believe it. I said, listen. God bless, man. If you can make a buck, do it to it. And I got no hard feelings over it. Competition is competition. But toward the social equity and legacy end of it, uh, um, I got a lot of heart for everybody on the street. Like even in California, I've been dealing, I've smuggled weed from Mexico back in the 90s and stuff. And I uh, dealt with a lot of hum I'm hunting down Humboldt weed and stuff in Eureka back when it was hard to find 10, 20 pounds at that time. Mm. Um I know a lot of people in the industry and I want those same people participating. So even in California, if you come into my places, we try to even help out a lot of the social equity brands and legacy brands from California, Colorado, Florida coming on. But New York, I'm a New Yorker born and raised. 
I got, I'm, I'm going to win New York. Empire is going to be the empire of cannabis in New York City, spanning from here. But legacy and social equity, my hands out, man. Whatever I could do to help them keep moving forward and take a piece of this thing, I, I'm down. You know, I don't mind giving a little. It's all right. I love that, man. I love that. And, then, and obviously, you know, New York has a lot of pride. I mean, the, anywhere people are from, they have pride where they're from. But New York is one of the the places, you know, known globally. People from New York love where they're from. Um, but looking at cannabis legalization, a lot of these brands from the West Coast have obviously been able, they've had the advantage of, of being in the adult use market and being able to establish a brand at an easier route than some of the legacy folks. Do you feel like the, the average, you know, member, patient, uh, consumer in New York are they really checking for West Coast brands or are they looking for some New York bread stuff? <sighs> Hard question. Uh, good. Here's try to give my best answer to that. Because, as you said, you know, if Prop 215 had been New York City, uh, the New York City would be the one that has, you know, I don't think in essence that because California is California, that that's what created the cannabis mecca of California. It was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of people participating all through the 70s, 80s out there, but we even had it in New York. We, I had friends growing, the, my father and them had weed smuggling in and growing all over New York for freaking decades. Uh, uh, decade stuff. I keep speaking decades. I'm, I'm feeling real old now. But uh, the uh, part of, like, with the, uh, you're going to always, because they had 10, 20 years to establish everything in California, of course, there's many, many brands. I mean, it's like saying Heinz Ketchup. It, it had that long to get its name locked in. It's always going to be Heinz Ketchup. But there are other, you know, with New York coming online and, you know, there's a lot of issues for what occurred. You know, I'm one of those that uh, over the past 10 years, every time I turn to one of my associates in the industry there, Oh, man, we're almost to the finish line, man. We're going to have this trillion dollar. My man, you haven't even took the first couple steps past the starting line. I said the way they formulated this thing, there's never been an industry created state by state by state. This state legislation, that state commerce clause. You can't do business from California. This one, your name can only be known here. Absolute chaos in, in, in industry. And it's going to get weeded out right now. Supreme Court's going to rule that the Commerce Clause protects that you can't legislate state by state for goods. And uh, it gives us the shot in New York to create not only show the brands from California that have already locked in a decent name on the West Coast and some here doing all the, the BM market. And that has made a that was the only way to really get your name locked. But There'll be a bunch of new brands from Empire, I hope, and several others that will create a name for in New York that pushes out all over the friggin' world because New York has always done that. It wasn't San Francisco, L.A., Miami, or anything. They are all looked at and known all over the world. But New York is New York. For command, the Big Apple, France is looking at us every day. Japan says, what are they doing in New York? Everybody says, what's going on in New York? And so from here right now... Even the California brands that have been locked into their California market, you get on Empire shelves, and I'll make your name rocket all over the freaking world. Um, that's what's going to happen from here.
Yeah, I mean, New York's been the most talked about market in legalization, I feel like, the last three to four years. Like, it's barely getting online with the, the regulated adult use market, but it's been the, the focal point of the entire industry. Um, and much how it's rolled out, you know, on paper, New York was at first uh, held in high regard for how it was rolling out the regulated market, championing social equity, championing the farmer, championing legacy. But then as we've seen, uh, probably none of all the rollouts have been disastrous, but New York has probably been the worst, which is ironic just seeing that it's been able to watch so many other states come online. And you think like, how can they not learn what's right and learn what's wrong? But yet here we are um, on paper. Everything's looks great, but how it's rolling out looks like it's less in favor of a lot of what they're talking about on paper, which is kind of just politics 101. You say a lot of things that rallies up the common man and then you do a bunch of stuff that has benefits to who has the money because that's who puts money in your back pocket. What's your take on this rollout and just kind of the, the political currency of, of looking good on paper and what's coming out of their mouth? But then the, the, the obvious shit show that's unfolding in front of us. Hey, uh, see this old man right here. We've been discussing it for, what, 30 years now. What's the first thing you do to clean up uh, all the bullshit with uh, politics and business in this country? Kill all the lobbyists. Let's get them all out the fucking way. <laughs> we got no the problems all in right there. But, uh, you know, listen, New York had a good there's some good concepts to it. And you have a lot of. I won't put anybody down on it. I actually think Governor, how do you say it, Hochul? Hochul. Hochul, yeah. She's, I actually think she's got some good things in what she's doing. She's, you know, she has a lot of great initiatives. I think this guy, Chris Alexander from the OCM of New York, uh, Office of Cannabis Management, guy has been a righteous dude trying to help out certain segments of uh, society, not just in cannabis, but you know, minority areas of our state. Uh, I give a lot of props to a lot of people. The mayor of New York, excellent. I actually truly like the mayor. I think he's a hell of a decent dude, got his head on correctly, dealing with a lot of problems with this cannabis stuff that was created because, as I said, ain't no state ever, ain't no industry ever come from state-by-state state legislation. You can't come into a market that has had... The BM, the black market goods. We've got more Fugazi shit here, along with the real shit, for longer than any place in this country. If you got fake Chanel purses on Canal Street, you got a million stizzies uh, and busies and hizzies and dizzy. Everything's all over the freaking place. You ain't, you weren't going to create a market that uh, locked down a, a central uh, state by only state grown, sold everything. It ain't, it's not going to happen here. Um, I think a lot of what they're doing in the end of the day, though, it's like you're saying, um, they, a politicians always want to look good to the people that keeps them getting voted in and everything else. And in the end result, they want to make sure they're making the guys over here feel good. So they got a lot of money coming in later in their life when they get out and they got to be a lobbyist for these companies and every other freaking thing. Um, you can watch what's kind of occurring in New York and you can see that. You know, a lot of people look at stuff and they see they don't notice the red herring that's getting thrown in their face. Hey, look over here. Don't look over here. I think this whole thing, I think there was a lot of good ideas to it. But I think that a lot of the legislature already had their hands in with the uh, corporate cannabis. 
And I think there was some understandings with corporate cannabis. Hey, we're going to do a little of this and we're going to do a little of that. The, the, the $500, $200 million budget we're going to do for all these social equity legacy people, it's not going to end up being there. So they're ending up, they're not going to open a lot of them and they're, they're going to have problems and all this shit. So don't worry. After we start this three years into it, you guys are going to get it anyway. If you read a lot of the like of the bills with the MRTA helping out the card program, social equity, a lot of it has background little things in it to where, hey, if this social equity person ends up failing, uh, the original entity with Chris Weber and them running this $200 million thing can buy up that thing and they can move it, <laughs> all ending up being, hey, it ends up in corporate hands. Um, the biggest thing is, I think, and, and this is truly my feelings to it. I think that they would have got away with a lot more of this if Empire Cannabis wasn't here. Mm-hmm. From the beginning, I've went on New York One with my sister and my partners and and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Forbes magazine and everything. And I, pulled, I called everyone out. I said, enough of these fucking games. You know, you, you want to tout all this shit and everything's getting built so that it just ends up over here anyway. Let's stop the bullshit if you're going to do these things let's do them the right way and i put a lot of people on notice um whether it be the governor whether it be the ocm whether whatever that to say shit we can't just throw the red herring and everyone looks because empire saying wait a minute look over here and so they now if you saw they just added 150 more licenses for the card program and i think the corporate side now is saying oh fuck uh, what the fuck is going on? This was supposed to be 50 licenses, maybe 100, then it went 150, and no fought 200 million thing, and we were supposed to get the business a year or two later, and now you've gotten 150. The, the state's having issues because they're, they're knowing they're getting called out, and they're trying to figure out how to make this still look the right way to the public, and now they're scaring the shit out of corporate. Um. In the long run, corporate's coming. This is a capitalist country. There's no other way around it. All we need is to have a fair shake so that some of us, some of the legacy, some of the social equity that have been dealing with, I don't, if I'm talking too much, tell me, but I don't, I don't feel that uh, every single person on the street that caught hell over cannabis or every person that dealt with uh, low-income areas or anything, deserves to get in front of this, that, and the other. That's not capitalism. All I do hope is that this industry is the biggest industry that has ever affected this world. You know, bigger than anything we've ever imagined, even when we were younger, saying, let's hustle for $5 million here, $10 million there, smuggle a load in. It was never anything compared to what this is going to be worldwide. And with trillions of dollars coming in, with an industry that doesn't need a person who understands algorithms, nor a person who has four a bachelor degree in this or that or the other, you have a new trillion dollar industry that has enough room and an ability for people that don't have four, five, six years of education or been involved with algorithmic studies and all this stuff. There's enough room to bring in the average Joe to where we can hand a hundred billion, 200 billion into hands that are never going to have that ability. And I want to be here to try to help a little bit of that. Cause I just, I, I, I don't think there's anything else in life that's going to come out and help, uh, 
and help these any of the people that I that I know that I've been working with for decades to come out of freaking the Bronx and to come out of lower income areas of Brooklyn or Queens and be able to grab hold of money to put their kids in a new car or send them to school and everything else. And a little piece of this industry can do that. Don't mean I want corp. I don't want cookies locked out. I don't want cure relief locked out. Hey, this is a free country, man. This is capitalism. Do your thing, but just give the opportunity to start a channel for us to get the legacy and social equity market to at least not all these bullshit they've been doing in every other state, just a channel to get them moving so that they've got a year or two on top of the corporate America to get some dollars together and make this work. Now shut up. <laughs> no, no, no. Very, very insightful and, and appreciate that, especially again, because like I said, New York is one of the most talked about exciting markets. So being able to get the perspective from someone that's generationally been operating in the space out there, um, and even on that note, right, like for you guys to be operating, you know, we, we got two generations right here uh, working in cannabis. Right. And, and, and legalization really just happened in, in history. Um, how does it feel to come from that legacy market to this? And then also in operating in the legacy market, did yourself or pops ever see this legalization coming and being a part of it? Or was it more so just being a part of it kind of with, with or without that ever coming down the pipeline? So did we, you hear the question, you didn't hear them. No. Question was, uh, did we foresee things coming to this over the years? No. I would say 40 years ago, <laughs> 35 years ago, back into the, <clears throat> back in the 80s, mid 80s, late 80s, when I was starting to get involved with some things, um, you didn't really see, you didn't, you didn't anticipate it because how strong the illegal side of it was. The government was, it was really, you would talk to your friend and he would say, oh yeah, let's check out some weed. But the next two people hear about it and they say, oh my God, weed, oh my God. So the, the thought of what marijuana is has changed dramatically. I mean, you, you couldn't walk outside the door and say, hey, I'm gonna smoke a joint. If you did that, there'd be six people going, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> it's over with. And, and I think, you know, it took a little bit of time to get to that. I think in the nineties, when I was, we were doing our commercial grows and stuff, me and my father were discussing a lot of the time. And my brother, who was quite a bit younger than me, he was involved with things with me. And we had a lot of discussions saying, you know, watching how the hydroponic market was, the stores were going, we were involved in hydroponic stores at that time. And, uh, and watching how uh, the movement of cannabis was going to the indoor cultivation side, um, we had an idea that it was getting more accepted. Um, you could watch it year by year where you would see more and more people accept what the use of it and understand that it's not that bad. Um, when I was in the I went to jail for, I don't know if you knew, I went to prison for cultivation of cannabis and, uh, while I was in, in the joint, uh, we had a lot of discussions. He went with me, actually. <laughs> we both enjoyed the vacation. Uh, we, uh, we had a lot of discussions, and we anticipated some changes that were occurring when Prop 215 was coming in because I actually helped argue on one of the first cases for Prop 215. It was the, where the, there was a woman that was arguing about her right to possess the, a bigger amount because her doctor would say that it was something that she needed. And it had to go all the way through the Supreme Court of California. And they said, you're right, it, 
the doctor decides, not the police, not the legislature. So um, I was involved in the beginning. When, so when I got into the into jail and uh, we, we actually planned from there and we got involved with a lot of the first collective cooperative stores that were coming out. I helped out with a lot of luckily, even though I went to prison, I made a lot of bread. So we helped out starting a lot of collective stores and things like that. So when I came home, we were still involved in doing things. Um, so we had a little bit of knowledge on it, but you know, it's been a wild ride. I mean, watching the changes day by day, you walk out in New York now and it used to be you walk out in the damn street and, uh, I light a, I light a joint and, uh, I might be able to me with my white ass skin and everything else. I might well be able to walk down the block and make it halfway down the block without anybody saying anything. But if I'm walking with one of my Puerto Rican bros or my black brothers or something like that, and we light a joint next thing you know, boom, they're jumping out of the woodwork, throwing us against the wall. Oh, you know, the this, that, and the other. So now when you walk down and you're passing a cop and stuff, I got to say with that aspect, no, that's amazing. I mean, mm. Coming from that kind of lifestyle and then walking by a cop and saying, yo, officer, you want to hit? Now nah, I'm on duty. <laughs> You're like, my God, man, how life changes. It's amazing. Yeah, that that was a trip for me. Uh, I was telling Lenore before we started, my, my first trip ever to New York was just last year. And I, you know, I heard about being able to smoke in the city where you could smoke cigarettes. And it was it was unreal being in Times Square and, and having police everywhere. And I, I was the last one of the crew to light up. You know, I'm like looking for an alley to duck into and everyone's been there. You know, so that was your first time. What's that, that was your first time, you said? First time in New York. Yes, sir. Yeah. Oh, see, if you had been here in the 90s, early 2000s, I got home in 2007. You know, I'm walking the street with my buddy Shorty. Uh, how do you say that? Uh, sorry that he passed away, but that was my brother. Uh, 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 walking down the street with my buddy Shorty, short ass Puerto Rican friend of mine. And uh, we're smoking a joint and uh, I hand off the joint to him. And the minute the Puerto Rican gets the joint in his hands, boom, there comes the NYPD against the wall. They go right by me, throw him against the wall. And uh, I'm going, yo, what about me? And they're like, shut up. <laughs> going through his pockets. And I'm like, damn, man, don't, don't kill the Puerto Rican Jews right here. What's up, man? I'm Irish and Jewish. What do you want from me? And uh, if you saw the differences, you'd, you'd be even more amazed when you're when you're watching what goes on in New York. Now, I mean, it's if you're if you had been in New York in the, in the 90s and the early 2000s, you would be astonished by it. Like it doesn't stop surprising. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it was unique not being from there. I can only imagine uh, coming from there. Um, what is one of these things as, as legalization continues to go there, besides being able to smoke freely, what are, what are some of the things that excite you most being a New Yorker of now having legalized cannabis in New York? That excites me the most. Um, you know, cannabis always had a, Listen, New York City is a little different than L.A. It's quite different than Miami. Miami is a very big drinking town. Everybody likes to drink a lot. New York, also a drinking town, but they mix it with cannabis. Cal uh, California, a very big smoke town. New York, you get a little more um, uh, over the years, you would notice like you could go out and whether we're at the limelight 
for the for the techno rave thing back in the 90s or we were sitting at palladium listening to the hip-hop or late night techno or or, or webster hall or any of these other ones copacabana you would you always had your drinking but all the people i associated with and a lot of people in the crowd they'd be smoking too so it kept your 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 the vibe of the club was always a lot mellower than it was um, in Miami and such, it just was a, a, a the, the weed the, kept the alcohol to a certain parameter where it didn't go too much fighting and stuff, not as much. Um, now with what it's doing here, being so wide open and such, it's people aren't like, oh, I can't smoke right now. I, you know, I, I, I got to wait till later and too much people getting smashed. Now everyone's smoking a bit and calming down on a little bit of the alcohol end of it. So it's making a very nice, calm, celebratory time in most of the clubs and everything. And I don't go out as much, a little bit here and there. My sister still goes out a lot. And my my young my my youngins around my family, they go out quite a bit. I a little bit here and there. Try to get my wife to go salsa dancing and stuff every so often, but I've got a Dominican wife who just uh fantastic. Dance is fantastic. I just can't get her around as much as she used to like to. But uh um it's helped a lot to, to, to make things just a very fun time again. It's 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 mellowed out the scene, so there's not much chaos. It's just a, a really good time every time you go out or do anything around New York right now. Yes, it's hard, it's hard to be upset about things when you're you know when you're able to smoke uh, cannabis so freely. Um, you know, obviously you guys have seen a, a, a ton of members, uh, a ton of local people, and you've obviously been involved in the industry for a long time. Uh, we, we know looking at the industry as a whole, flower is king. It's the number one selling SKU uh, or, or, you know, product category for New Yorkers. You feel like it's the same thing. I know a lot of people are talking about beverages and edibles and what that's going to do for lounges. But do you feel like out there flower is still king in terms of the, the preferred product category? You know, I guess I've heard for years now, like, um, uh, you hear the question? The preferred category of uh, in the in the people's use, whether it's flour or vapes or this, that, and the other. No, it's still flowers number one. Well, here, yeah, I was gonna say like California has uh, California. I guess over the past five years, six years, we've faded into a very heavy use of these disposables and all that stuff. Um, I'm not. I'm more. I, I I'm gonna listen. I'm, as I'm getting older and older, I like. I'm an environmental type person. I like to, I just don't, I hate messing up the environment. So we carry vapes and uh, disposables, all that. I'm hoping people are, you know, trying to keep their mind on uh, <clears throat> what protects our environment a bit. But use wise, New York is still, because we're really fresh into the legality aspect, the availability of stuff all around you. Um, everyone's still, I would think it's because of that, or it could just be that New Yorkers have always been loving flour. Uh, you know, flour with 70% of, of, of any distribution is flour in New York, where 70%, they say, is like vape products, 60% in California. Um, uh, New Yorkers like vapes. They, they enjoy edibles. They like all that stuff. But we still have a large, large segment of the populace, which is why you keep hearing the few people that can't stand weed still or just aren't used to it that well to where they're going, oh, the smell is killing me because we have so many people that still love flour. 
So, you know, hey, I'd love to help everybody out with their noses so we can switch it over, but I love the smell of weed. And uh, I love having New York really love flour because it, you know, I love seeing all the, the different growers coming out of New York. I, I love seeing all the different flour coming out of Cali, Arizona, everywhere. To me, um, that's more fun than anything else involved with this is because I was into growing since I was, I mean, I literally grew at Neville's Castle with them back in the, yeah, I don't know if you ever heard of that. Neville's Castle was the first place that produced seeds for the world in, wow. in, outside of Holland. I met uh, Arjan from Greenhouse Seeds there back in the 1980s. And uh, I watched some of the first major cultivation stuff go on across the world. And uh, from there, this is just, I love watching all the different flower and the strain crosses and everything else. To me, that's the best. And what on that note of cultivation, what what was the uh, the thought? You know, what was going through your head when you created that commercial cultivation that obviously uh, I believe is what contributed to the uh, the the forced vacation uh, or trip away, if you will. Um, what was the what was the temperature on like just setting that up at, at that time? Right, that that was a, a risk, if you will, and something that not a lot of people were doing. Um, what, what went into creating that and, and how long did you have that running for? If you don't mind sharing, you know, no, I don't mind at all. I, I love everything I've done, brother, every single bit. Of it. <laughs> and I ain't worried about what the man thinks or anybody else. They don't like it. They should have stopped it a long freaking time ago. Uh, commercial cannabis. Uh, I was growing in, uh, Florida quite a bit. Uh, I moved to Florida at, a at, a about what 11 years old 12 years old and we were going back and forth new york and florida my dad had some businesses there um i found out this old man was growing some shit on a on a ranch he had down there and uh so i started doing my own little cultivation stuff at about 16 years old and i i started experimenting with uh ebb and flow trays you see them now with rockwell and this was when no one knew what the hell that was you got what rockwell <laughs> what was that a sponge no no one knew anything about it so i learned everything from reading ed and read ed rosenthal's books and reading high times and i went to school for a couple subjects and and learned everything we didn't have the internet we didn't have all the growers out there so well um, we found a, uh, some associates brought a, a, a strain in from Colorado uh, back in the day that was uh, um, really nice indoor work, but you could only find little bits of it in Florida. So I started getting clones from them and growing it. And uh, it was a very good, very good strains, really nice work. It was some type of Northern Lights 5 type cross. Um and you were getting at that time six thousand dollars a pound. It was quite amazing. I mean, no, what's amazing is where it is. <laughs> yeah, now. what it is now is crazy. <laughs> we used to get six thousand a pound. Sixty-five. I used to break the stuff down and get thirteen thousand dollars a pound back then. So, probably about nineteen eighty-nine, uh, we had set up. My father by then had started doing a little bit with me, and we set up a, a house in Palm Bay, Florida. And we had like, uh, I don't know, we had a barn on that ranch he was growing on before. I set up this barn. We redid the interior because they were growing outdoors. And I turned this big barn. It was a horse barn. I turned it into a 12-light setup. It was about 1987. And uh, we uh, 
we checked it out for a bit. We did it for a few years, and we made a nice check from it. We were quite amazed at how much the prices were going, and we really loved the herb we were growing. So we, uh, I, w- I had some seeds sent from Amsterdam, and uh, they got messed up on the way. And I said to my father, I said, all right, screw that. I ain't doing this again. And he said, what are you doing? I said, I got my passport. I'm going. He says, you're 18 years old. Like, I don't give a shit. I'm going. So I shot over there, and I went over and made my first appearance at some of the clubs, the Bulldog over in Amsterdam and all that, and ended up weeding my way to finding this place called Neville Seed Bank, uh, the first major seed company. And from there, I brought seeds back. I won't explain how I got them back or anything else because that I don't want to talk about. But (laughs) I ended up getting them back to the States and we crossed some strains that we got from Neville, some Northern Lights 5, Northern Lights 1, and uh, I believe it was Big Bud. And we came up with a strain that was called Kryptonite. And uh, from there, uh, an associate came down to see me in New York people that we know, you know, good friends up in New York. And they said, Hey, we could do this up there right now. I said, really? So we came up and looked around and everyone was do this, do that. And I said, wait a minute. I went into a building. I looked around and I said, got 27 stories on this damn building. What's his face owns this building. I need five floors and I'm taking four of them and they're going to be empty. And I'm running all the electric to the, to the one floor and I can do all I want. No one's ever going to notice. And we set up our first grow on 38th street in Manhattan. We actually got busted there too, but we didn't get convicted of, uh, uh, they busted a, uh, we had 198, 1000 watt lights and, uh, and 3000, like 30 some hundred plants growing. Oh, yeah, 3,000 plants. And you got to see this place. We had, if, how tall are you? 6'4". <laughs> we had them just below your height. I had, I grew 3,000 plants through this basement in 38th Street in Brooklyn, 10,000 square feet. They were all five, six feet tall. Jesus. And uh, we had them in Rockwell slabs. And uh, from there, we uh, we had, you know, you hear about Washington Heights in, uh, up in, uh, in the upper part of like Harlem in Manhattan where uh, the Dominicans have really had it locked down for years for cannabis distribution. We were part of the beginning of that. When you hear about PIF and all that stuff, the, uh, the purple haze and all that, before you had purple haze in New York, before you saw any indoor coming into the city, or even that much in California, Florida, we were putting 100, 150 pounds of the stuff called Crippy out onto the streets in New York. And every single bag either went to the Marcy Projects in Brooklyn well, went to the Washington Heights, and my guys were whether it was my Dominican brothers or my black brothers, they were. Uh, you, I just they buy 10 pieces at 6,400 and they come back and say, If you don't sell those last 10, I'll give you 7,000. I don't give a shit. I'm like, Yo, <laughs> Well, yeah, this is what made it. And by the way, when I got in trouble for that building of Brooklyn, I wanted to let everybody know one thing me and him, he, he actually, I was in Mexico smuggling some weed back. This guy called me back from Mexico. We found this building in, in Williamsburg, Williamsburg or Bushwick, kind of kind of the border or whatever, Bushwick. Bushwick. And uh, uh, 260 Moore Street, and, uh, and right down from the Boar's Head plant, uh, calls me in. He says, look at this building. I said, what the hell did you call me back for? I got all these pounds coming back. from. We made the first. He, had, he found a building with a bunch of big uh, uh, skylights. skylights in the roof. Ah, see, you're remembering good, right? I walk into this building. I'm looking around this place, and I said, Come on, man. This is a pop. We could buy a warehouse anywhere in the city. What do they go? Now just keep come on. 
We walked every floor. We get to the top floor of this building. I'm like, Pop, I can't believe I came all the way back from Mexico. Blah, 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 blah. We walked to the top floor. I look up. I said, what the hell is that? He goes, oh, what? That, those wood panels? I go, yeah, what's those big wood panels covering the roof? <clears throat> he goes, uh, those are old skylights, all covered with wood. I said, holy shit. I said, where are we? He goes, we're only a mile away from LaGuardia Airport. They can't overfly here. I said, holy shit. We, when we got in trouble, we had the I, – I mean, I don't say anyone wasn't doing light debt before us, but I want to tell you, you hear about light debt and all that today. We took a building in 1994 – or 95, we got to do it, right? 95 in Brooklyn, we took the skylights out. We put greenhouse glass on these 60-foot by 30-foot spaces, eight of them in the roof, and then we surrounded it with 200, 1,000-watt lights – we rocked the first light depth facility with aeroponic units in the 1990s. The fuck, man! You were doing indoor. You were doing light depths in downtown New York. Yep, in the 90s, brother. Well, what happened? Was they they invented the uh, aeroponic setups in Israel, but they were all small units. So Larry Brooks up in, uh, what is it, General Hydroponics? Yeah, you heard of General. It used to be owned by, uh, before it was Monsanto, or it was owned by uh, Larry Brooks. Larry Brooks owned it. So he was building these four tube units. And so we go to him and we say, we need. Uh, 100 foot by 60 feet. Or we had uh, 100 tubes going in a 60 foot reservoir. That held 1,600 plants. And he never built anything like that before. He says, well, we got to get some engineering done. <laughs> he shows up out there. He calls me. He goes, I just talked to Larry. He said, fucking impossible. I don't know how the fuck I'm going to build that. And I said, throw him 150000 Tell him to take fucking two months. I need it three months from now. So my dad <laughs> and Larry sat down and they planned out building a full commercial aeroponic system. From brother, like I said, the only people talking about how to grow indoor and all that was reading high times for your closet. <clears throat> we built all the first major projects. <laughs> so here we go. What strains were you running out of that facility? All crypto. This the we I had like I said, I had crossed these strains I got from Neville Seed Bank. It was Northern Lights Five, Northern Lights One, and uh Big Bud. And it created, oh no, and uh, and then we create crossed it with G13. And that's how we came up with uh, this frame we call kryptonite. And uh, it was the limiest, like, it was so limey. It looked just like you're looking at the, like Superman was going to pass out when you put this in front of him. And uh, everyone on the streets called it crypto. And, uh, and it was, if you look back, speak to anyone from the 90s in New York, what was the indoor stuff you'd see? The only thing I'm going to tell you is, Back in later in the 90s, maybe after 97, they said PIF started coming around. That's about when it came in 96, 97. But from like 91 in New York, you were either seeing outdoor Humboldt, little bits of it that they were claiming was indoor, really good outdoor. Like today you look at it, you go, ah, that's outdoor. Uh, or you saw Kryptonite running the streets in New York. Biggie was smoking my shit. Jay-Z, all that. If you ask them, what were you smoking in the 90s? They're going to go, oh, that was Kryptonite shit in the Marcy Projects. Because it was them that were buying it. <laughs> that is, man, that is that is legendary. Did you did you keep kind of running those genetics, or did you kind of graduate to doing doing some other stuff, or or keep it mainly around the kryptonite? 
when I got out of well, 98, they smashed my operation and uh, I got 10 years in prison for, in the federal prison system for uh, cultivation. A little bit of smuggling involved too, but mostly cultivation. And uh, they, uh, I, I still have the strain today, but I, I haven't restarted it in all these years. I just haven't felt like I was ready to do it. I want to make sure we got it going the right way. We're probably going to do it now because I'm about to set up some major cultivation stuff on a collective cooperative basis. Uh, one of these days, you and me will go over that. Uh, I found some other loopholes that they got in this law, which I don't think are loopholes. I think it was intentionally put in by somebody. But it allows me to grow. with uh, All my members are going to be signed up freely as medical patients in a minute. and We're going to be growing plants all over New York City for all my medical people. Uh, but uh, I, when I got home from prison, I started back growing. I had one of the first. When you got, I don't know if you, you know where Santa Rosa, California is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I got out of prison. I came home. My, my cousin, who's a big smuggler from Colombia and stuff, they used to bring in like 20,000-pound freighter loads from Colombia. I got home from prison, welcomes me home. Uh, he says, hey, my friend up here, uh, a friend of ours named Kitty from Santa Rosa, she has some property. We went up there, and uh, I put together – I mean, I literally was still on federal supervision. And I got home, and I put up a 100-foot light depth greenhouse on her property and two – uh, 40 foot by uh, uh, 40 by 30 units and full light depth, everything. And this is 2014. So uh, 2012, actually, seven, I came home. Yeah, seven, I came home. So 2012, uh, I got pinched again <laughs> a little after that. So I was gone again for two years, but then I came back again. We did, those, and then I did those light depths. But nobody else was doing them. Like you barely saw any. It was you come up to Santa Rosa, you're like, what the hell is that? We had it going. It was great. It was good. And for you, how much how much was cannabis like, you know, because I, I think a lot of people when we talk about it, right, especially in the legacy days, um, you know, there's a passion around it. There's a belief in it. But there's obviously like when it's generational like yourself, it's, it's a means to put food on the table. Right. What, 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 it's a hustle. Right. Whether the intention of that hustle is to make a bunch of money, invest it somewhere else, make a bunch of money for whatever or just provide for the family. But for yourself, you know, to, to do it and and to to get sent away for it a couple different times, like obviously there's there's a couple different elements to you. So for yourself, where do you view cannabis as a as a mix of like a passion, something you love, and also like a means to provide? You know, I take it as any person, you or anyone else, you do certain things for certain periods of your life, and it's very complicated to switch your mind around and learn whole new things to do. Um, I initially started with cannabis because I just enjoyed cannabis and I saw the hustle to be able to make some money. By the time I was in my 20s, um, I was more knowledgeable about cannabis cultivation this than probably anyone in the world. I still say today that I probably hold one of those categories. Um, I left for so long, like from 28, I was gone till I was almost 40. So by the time I walked out of prison, um, I have a very good mind. I'm not a, a, I'm not a, you know, I got a far stretch from being a stupid individual, but you know, anybody, even when you come home, walking home at 30 something years old and you got to start fresh and start new, it's very hard to switch up and try to learn new things and start new, uh, new endeavors. So I went to what I knew, and there was still a large amount of money involved into it. Uh, 
I did a lot of it because I enjoy taking care of my family. I enjoy I'm not going to lie to somebody. I enjoy having a lot of fun, having money to have a lot of fun. And uh, it's always allowed that, but it's always been an exciting business. Um, the people you worked with, the, uh, you know, nowadays when you go out into the cannabis sector, it's a different atmosphere because you've got all these corporate suits and everybody else. I can deal with them. As I said, I don't find myself to be s slow in the slightest bit. I'm, I'm pretty good IQ wise, so I can deal with the people, but it's a different parameter. It used to be um, just the, the feeling and the, you know, being underground and, and uh, the fullest. I know, I know the words you're looking for. Getting over. <laughs> yeah, the getting over on everything. You just loved it. It was great. Um, I've always been one, and so is my pop. We we look at things as uh, every time I get in trouble, they're usually, like I've beaten probably eight out of ten cases that I get in my life because when I do something, I do it planning out what the negative and the positive is and how to make sure the law, because whether the government can come at you or not, the law says certain things that the government has to do to be able to take care of that stopping you from doing what you're doing. I always do it in a way that uh, allows the law to help protect me. And um, we've always, I enjoy having adversaries. I think just like I said, I got the guy across the street that wanted to open up a dispensary right across the street. So God bless, man. You know, I, I enjoy competition. It's a, uh, it's fun. DEA was always a, uh, thousand people against you and your brain working to get around everything. It was always fun. <laughs> I always found it a uh, real amusing to figure out how to make everybody else. Well, tell them the truth. You just like breaking at shops. That too. Yeah. <laughs> so we've had a lot of fun parking balls over the years. So, but yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I love that. And I appreciate that, that answer. You know, as we move into this legalization, there's, there's that that separation of church and state between like the culture and the passion and, and corporations. But I think when we look at legacy, right, it, it was a mix of both, right? There's people in it for passion. There's people in it for the hustle. Um, but if you partake in the commerce of cannabis, you have to take into account the hustle. Any, any business, right, has to make money to survive, to pay people, to keep them moving. Um, so I just appreciate the the candor around that. What, what, what else does uh, Empire Cannabis Clubs have on the docket besides you know, the fit the fifth store is opening up around 420 in Soho. And then you said you have another location planned. Uh, what else do you guys have on the docket for the rest of 2023? Well, we got the, some big parties coming up. We got uh, the 421 party with Red Man, Method Man, which is going to be an amazing party. Shortly after that, my members are going to get another big one, getting close to 710. And 4th of July, we're going to plan out. A, I'm trying to get an outdoor. I got a lot of members now, so I'm trying to find venues that can accommodate a very big crowd and we're trying to set something up with an outdoor setup for uh 10 20 000 people uh, a lot of reggae and the guy i used to smuggle from jamaica when i was a kid so i still love reggae and everything else so we're going to try to put together a nice reggae reggae tone maybe to the evening festival for the summer months and uh Along with that, like I've been involved over the years with a lot of nightclubs and things that I had my hands involved with. So we're going to, you know, they're allowing consumption lounges and it's a common sense thing. You, you know, you're not going to, you can't 
say, hey, you can't get together and enjoy something that people recreationally enjoy. So we're going to create a, a nice environment with a, a few different large-scale um, consumption lounges. We're starting, like I told you, in Fulton Mall to have something that should be very impressive. And I'm trying to get something else locked down in the city that I can't uh, – uh, in Manhattan that I can't lay out yet. But um, in a moment, we should have uh, probably one of the bigger nightclub-style consumption lounges set up for Manhattan also. And uh, that in about 10 or 12 – dispensaries around the city and uh empire should be locked in buddy uh the city, the city, uh my the elephant it was funny you I, I tell you what my company's called uh -uh. we called our company remember my dad just told you we like to bust balls right we don't like to give in my comp what i got in trouble with back in the in the 1990s when i went to prison they called our my group the elephant organization and me and my father were the bosses of it. We had a large amount of people well, tell working. Tell them how with many us. how many people were involved. Well, they got in trouble. It was just you and me. Yeah, <laughs> your brother, me, and you. Yeah, nobody else. That, that was a, that was the elf. They, they wanted us to tell on everybody, but the end result was just me. The only ones that went away <laughs> with us. And uh, the um, they called us the Elfand organization. So when I started my endeavor in New York, I looked to tip my hat. I'm not wearing my my uh, Empire cannabis hat right now, but I tipped my hat to the DEA and I said the Elfand organization's back. Check it out. So I formed the company under that controls Empires, the Elfand organization. Came back to get weed going again in New York, and uh, we're gonna make sure that the consumption lounges, the uh, dispensaries, the enjoyment of cannabis is here the way it's always been in New York. The guy from Orson Heights is going to have his spot. The person from 169 is going to have their spot. The one from Marcy Projects in Brooklyn is going to have his spot. We're going to make sure that uh, everything still carries on as the, the Big Apple is going, going, well, going to be here. You know what the most amazing thing is, is that this will be our third party. And the first two were also big parties, not as big as this. There wasn't one physical or verbal altercation, not a one. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. Uh, you, it's a very rare thing when you get thousand, thousand, some odd, two thousand people together and not one thing. So the government better realize cannabis is here, and cannabis is going to keep the whole United States nice and mellow for the future. Hey. It's going to rock. Even when you put a thousand angry New Yorkers in one spot, huh? There's no, nothing pops off, man. Dang. All right. All right. Uh, that's that, that's an important thing. I mean, we, we've thrown a lot of cannabis events and definitely see the same thing coming from any any non-cannabis event. There's always property destruction, fights, cannabis events. It's like it ends early. Everyone's trying to skate out for more food. You know, they like clean up after themselves on the way out. It's, it's, it's a funny thing, man. Um, well, I, I, I greatly appreciate both you guys, Jonathan and Pops, hopping on here. For people that want more information, EmpireCannabisClubs.com. Again, that fifth, they got four locations open up around the city right now. The fifth location in Soho opened up around 420, 421 party at Terminal 5 with Redman and Method Man. Uh, appreciate, man. Had had a, a, a amazing conversation with, with some, some legacy legends over from the East Coast, man. Appreciate you guys. Anything else you want to plug real quick before we get up out of here? Nah, Mitch, uh, 
Just have a wonderful freaking time. Bring your ass back to New York and I'll take you out and show you what New York's really about with cannabis now. And we'll have a good time. <laughs> um. I'm with it. I'm with it. This is the RMR podcast. Stay tuned. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to subscribe. If you're on Spotify, Apple, favorite this, check in for new episodes coming soon. Bless.